Okay, it's a new year, so we're going to try something new. One, two, three. Okay, so uh, it's a new year, a new light is in the world, Um, Just uh, it should just be the most beautiful, beautiful year for everyone. Uh, Reb Shlomo Karlovak used to bless people, I know he would always say it to me, he'd say, I bless you with everything that's in your heart, so I'm, I'm, I'm blessing everybody. Uh, with with whatever whatever beautiful things are in your heart, you should just see them materialize this this year for the good and uh, and and for all of us for all of us together. Um, so so I just got back from from uh, spending Shabbos at, at the Baal Shem Tov's uh, kever uh, where he's buried and uh, and I went to Uman for for Rosh Hashanah for the first time for both of those things. Um, where there were tens of thousands of people there, and it was just an incredible experience. And um, that's in that's in the Ukraine. Um, and we, we we took a flight. I, I traveled with a friend of mine. We took a flight from L.A. to Warsaw and Warsaw to to Kiev. And actually, on the on the flight over, um, you know, you have to you have to dive in on the plane, and and it's um you're it's it, you're going. I don't know if you're going away from the. I guess you're going away from the sun. I, I, I don't know how the how the math or the geography of, of this works. But all I know is that I told my friend to wake me up when he davens, and that 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 was in the middle of the night on the plane. So the plane was just black, and I went to the back and and uh, you know did did the prayers there, and and uh, I got to the end. And this is the period before Rosh Hashanah, you're blowing the shofar every day. And so I thought to myself, well, I did bring a chauffeur, but I am on an airplane. <laughs> so, so, so my friend looked at me like, well, you know, it just, you know, obviously we're not blowing the chauffeur. And I was like, or are we? <laughs> so I got my chauffeur and went to the back of the plane and just sort of, just, just, just reassured the the, uh, the 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 two people who were working back there. I don't know if it's PC to say stewardess anymore. Like I think there's a new modern word for that. But anyway, the the, the, the flight attendants, the flight attendants, the crew. So I, I sort of said to the crew, "There's going to be a tiny toot," <laughs> and everyone was asleep on the plane just about. But this was probably the the, the quietest the, the quietest chauffeur blast I've ever heard. It was just like. That was it, but we got it done, so I was happy about that. Uh, we landed in Kiev um, after after midnight, probably probably around probably about one a.m., maybe a little bit afterwards, and got our luggage. and And my wife gave me one very important set of instructions for this trip, which was do not bring back bed bugs. So <laughs> so. We, we were going to drive uh, just basically in the middle of the night um, straight to the, the Berditch of a Rebbe, Rev Levi Yitzchak, uh, one of the greatest Hasidic masters, um, known as really w- one of the great um, spiritual defenders of the, of the Jewish people and, uh, and, and uh, just one, one of the greatest of the greatest. Uh, we were going to go to his tomb, which was, and then, and then to the Baal Shem Tov's. But um, but it, there was a concern that was raised, which was, 
we're meeting a driver who we don't know who he is. Like in Kiev, we've never met him. And we're going to be driving through the Ukrainian countryside in the middle of the night. He might fall asleep. What, what do we know? You know, because it's hours of driving. So maybe we should get a hotel and then we'll go in the morning, first thing in the morning, like at 5 a.m. So, so we decided on that. We booked him for 5 a.m. And now we had to find a hotel. So we, there was one hotel for $10 a night. But I thought that that was maybe like a very bed bug friendly <laughs> demographic of a price. <laughs> so we kind of went to a more than we wanted to spend, which was this place called the Hotel, the hotel Opera, right? It's very fancy sounding. I don't know how fancy hotel it was, but it was, it was definitely a nice hotel. And, um, and we, we leave the airport and I'm talking to a cabbie. It's like I say, it's probably about 1.30 a.m. And I figured, look, this hotel is close to the airport. It's a nicer hotel. The, the cabbies will know this hotel. You know, it just that seemed to make sense to me. So I, there were there were these two guys hanging out in front of the cab, and I said to I said to the guy, um, you know, we're, I'm going to the hotel opera, and he gives me like a blank look, which was strange to me. I said the hotel opera, and he said, and I was like the the opera hotel, and he's like just looking at his friend, giving me strange looks, and, you know, I'm sort of confused. And so I, I take out my phone so that he, he, he should see it written, that, that that might be easier. And and I showed it to him written, and he goes, the opera hotel, opera, opera, you know, and looks at his friend like, I'm, like this guy can't talk, he doesn't know how to talk. So anyway, we get to the, we get to the opera hotel, and... Um, it's about 2.30 in the morning when we finally get there, and we have to leave at 5 in the morning. And then someone calls me, like, it's sort of like something very pressing he needs to talk about from the United States. So I spent about a half an hour talking to that guy. <laughs> anyway, by the time I closed my eyes, I had to open them, and we were, we were off to Berdichev. And we, we got to, we got to Berdichev, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll try to see if I can put in the... Uh, in the um, in the email in the email that we'll have this talk on it. Uh, by the way, if, if you if you don't know, I don't know uh, how you listen to these talks, but you can get them sent to you. But you have to go on uh, TorahOnItunes.com, and then there's a little subscribe button at the top, and you can subscribe, and then you'll get them sent to you. So I'll try to put some pictures of the trip up there. Uh, the the Berdichever, where the Berdichever is buried. They have tombstones in the cemetery that are very, very unusual, like I've never seen before. Normally speaking, you know, you think of a tombstone, everyone's probably picturing the same thing. It's like, it's like an ark. It's pretty flat, you know. It's maybe a couple feet high, and, you know, that's what it is. These, these are long, they look like shoes, long cement structures that kind of rise up and they're kind of curved on the shoe part, and they're, they're made of stone, and it looks like they've been either completely eroded by the wind over hundreds of years, or maybe that's just the way they were shaped. But there's no writing on them, and they're these like just very unusually shaped structures like all over this field. And then there's something called an ohel, and Ohel is a, a building, and you walk inside the building, and that's where the tzaddik, the, the holy person's grave, is inside the Ohel, 
right? Because they, they kind of make a special place where you can pray and be a little more comfortable and everything like that. So we pull up there and we're thinking maybe we'll get a minion. It would be so great to get a minion. And I see like two people peeking their heads out of the building and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's, that's two. I saw a third guy, that's three. And there's the two of us. All right, we're getting closer. Who knows? Maybe, maybe more people will come. And then we walk into the building itself, and there are about 25 people there, and they're all finishing up davening. <laughs> so it's like, ah, oh, we just missed it. But, but it was sort of like shocking to find like a big crowd in there. And um, they're, they're getting toward the, the, the very end, and they finish up, and they don't blow the chauffeur. And I asked the guy, I said, aren't you going to blow the chauffeur? And he says, we don't have a chauffeur. And I was like, I have a chauffeur. I was so happy. You know, I, I, right before I went to the airport, I... I I, I, I grabbed it and I thought to myself, I'm never going to need this, but I'm taking it anyway. And I put it in my bag. And so, so, so they blew the chauffeur and, and, and now it's like, now it's a treasured possession, even more treasured, that it was blown at the, the kever of the, uh, the Berditch of Rebbe. So that, that was really cool. Um, we got to the, the Baal Shem Tovs. Uh, and I, the way, I, I don't know, the, the Baal Shem Tov, and we, sent, we spent Shabbos there. That's in Mezhbuz. And it's, um, it was so special. There was just, it was, I don't know how to describe it except to say it was tranquility itself. It was tranquility itself. And um, the, the area, unlike a lot of the, uh, kind of like when you visit a, a Rebbe's um, gravesite, um, and, and by the way, if, if anyone is sort of confused about just just the whole idea of going to the the, the gravesite of a of a tzaddik of a of a of a, of a holy rabbi, um, let, let me just explain it very simply. You're not you're not praying to the tzaddik, because obviously, you know, one of the beautiful, awesome things about Judaism is there's no there's no in between man. There's no there's no middleman. Basically, it's just every single person. And, every, and this is true for everyone in the world. Every single person has a direct relationship between you and God. And, and, and that's what it is. So, so then why are you going to this, the, to this grave site? Um, because you, you pray that in the, in the merit of all of the mitzvahs and all the awesome things that this tzaddik did, this holy person did, that basically it should give, you know, it should superpower your prayers, basically. It should give your prayers extra wings, and, and sort of, you know, on a more mystical level, there's like a little tiny bit of the soul that's sort of like left um, when, when even though someone is rising up to the highest places in heaven, there's a tiny bit of their soul that's still in the, in the, in, in the grave site. So, so that is sort of like the headquarters of that person in this world. So, you know, you're really kind of like, you kind of got a front row seat to their, their holiness. And of course, if you're not familiar with the Baal Shem Tov, he changed the face of Judaism, changed the face of, of the world, really. And, um, you know, without going into a, a history of, um, of the Hasidic movement, but just to, to understand just, just the, the revolution and the, the, just the, 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 the awesome deliverance that the Baal Shem Tov provided uh, for the Jewish people, I'll just give you a tiny bit of background, just so you can t- contextualize it. Basically, the Jewish people were so impoverished for so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years 
It's kind of a it's kind of a bit of an irony that today people think of oh you're Jewish you must you must be rich like all Jews are rich like I mean if 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 people understood if if you learn just uh, five minutes of, of of world history you'll you'll understand that the Jewish people have been living in utter destitute poverty for like you know a thousand or more years so it's 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 really the, the, this is a recent phenomena just the sort of like the economic you know, um, kind of recent re- renaissance, if you will, or, or blessing uh, that the Jewish people have had recently, but th- th- that was not the case. And and one of the one of the um, uh, results of the impoverishment of the Jewish people is that is that people would have to work at a very early age. You, you couldn't have a whole long schooling. And so we didn't have the luxury for that. And so there was sort of like this economic triage system that, that, that was put into place where basically you had the, 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 the children of the, the town would learn. And if, if there were superstars that sort of like emerged from the pack early on, then they said, okay, the town or whatever it is will support these superstars. They can learn all day to um, ensure the survival of Torah through the generations. And we'll take care of these. Everyone else has to work. So that, that kind of was the, that was kind of the, what, what happened, which is very unfortunate because I'm sure there were many great scholars that never became great scholars because just they, the, you know, we couldn't afford it. Um, but there was a resulting societal impact to this that was very, very negative. And what happened was basically you had a caste system um, within the Jewish people where you basically had the small scholarly class and then you had kind of the masses. And the masses understood that the ideal was to be sitting in front of an open book of Gomorrah or whatever it was, and that they weren't members of that, and that you had sort of like the more elite class, who I'm not sure were, you know, so rich either, but but could afford to at least learn during the day, right? Um, a lot of alienation set in. A lot of alienation set in. Because the masses felt as though they had sort of been kicked out. And that they didn't have access to God. And along comes the Baal Shem Tov now, Who restores the understanding that wherever you are, that's where God is. You're in the forest chopping wood. God's right there chopping wood with you. God is absolutely everywhere. And that maybe you're not sitting and, and, and learning Gomorrah or something like that. But you know what you can be doing? You can be praying 24-7. And all of a sudden, the depths of tefillah, of prayer, were able to have their awesome stature restored in the world. So he basically gave the Jewish people back the power of prayer. 
That's a very simple, short history of what the Baal Shem Tov did. And that caused an absolute revolution because when all of a sudden the entire world figured out that wherever they were, that's where God was, and there was no place where God wasn't, then the, 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 the God consciousness in the world absolutely just spiraled upwards. And, and, and that was the Baal Shem Tov. And of course he created many, many um, students who became great Rebbe's uh, in themselves who continue to teach this message to the present day. And I heard from Reb Shlomo words that changed my life and this is the underlining theme to every talk that I ever give, which is Reb Shlomo said uh, that people intuitively understand how far God away is. But the greatest Kiddush Hashem, this was what Reb Shlomo said, the greatest sanctification of God's name a person can do is to make people understand how close God is. Right? So that's, that's, what, the, that's what the Baal Shem Tov uh, restored in the world restored in the world. And it's very important to understand that the Baal Shem Tov didn't introduce any new ideas. These ideas were all part of Judaism, classical Judaism from the very, very beginning, from Mount Sinai and before. But what he did was he was able to sort of like re-emphasize what was already there. So to sort of like balance and, if you will, kind of like chiropractically readjust the souls of the Jewish people, you know, just kind of get us back in line. So, so what's unusual about Mezhebush, which is where the Basham Tov is buried, um, and then the beautiful compound, the beautiful uh, area that's there, is that it's not just an ohel. Like, normally speaking, you go to, like, let's say, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's uh, kever, Right, which you know, if you haven't been to, you should check out. That's in Queens, right? That you can go to today, uh, along with all these places. But that's that's a great place in New York. Um, it's it's sort of like a very uh, it's it's one spot basically, um, you know, uh, in a, in a in a cemetery. Uh, but but what's special about Mezhbuj is you're actually walking into a village because there's a whole village. And, and, and down the road from where the Ohel is, from, from where the Baal Shem Tov is buried, about maybe, I don't know, maybe 300 yards, but 300 storybook, cobblestone, fairy tale yards. <laughs> like, you get to walk down houses, these thatched, broken down houses that, that, that have been restored and you you just you, you you feel like you're in a in the middle of a fantasy and the utmost tranquility the utmost 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 tranquility um, and and then it leads at the end of the road it leads to the base medrash where the Baal Shem Tov studied I think it said for 20 years so you can imagine in that building in that in that spot all the Ruach HaKodesh, all the, the, the exalted, like, insight, that the, 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 heavenly, the, the, the heavenly communication that the Baal Shem Tov received, like right there, and you can, you can go right there. Just, just amazing. Um, so, 
before Yantav started, uh, there was there was there was someone who was kind of outside the Ohel where where the Balsham Tov was buried, and he was playing the guitar. He's the musical Magid. That's his name. You can look him up online. He, the most fantastic voice. He, he was singing so fantastically well. I was just like, just standing there. My I was my spirit was dancing so much, and I I went to thank him. And, and to introduce myself afterwards, and he goes, he goes, oh yeah, I listen to your talks online. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, couldn't believe it, you know, so happy. Um, then I met uh, a very, very old friend of mine. Just it was uh, incredible. Um, his name is Shemay Yisrael. Do you know anyone named Shemay Yisrael? I do. <laughs> he's a sofer. Anyway, and I know him since he's a little kid. And and he says, "Okay, so so we're off to the Mayan, to the to the mikvah, the Vashem Tov." So what's what's this? So so it's you know word gets communicated to me pretty quickly that the. That this that here well here's the story, it's a it's a miracle story, many miracles surrounding the Baal Shem Tov. The, the Baal Shem Tov went to wash his hands, and he had a stick, and uh, he put the stick into the ground. So, and then a whole spring of water came up, and that that spring of water they they channeled into two places. One of them is a well, so you can get to this. They built a well around it, so you can actually. And it's like an old-fashioned, you know, Ukrainian country-style well where you, like, lower a bucket and then you pull up the bucket and they say it's cured of waters. And there are all these Ukrainian children that hang out there sell, selling you empty bottles so that you can fill up, you know, Baal Tov well water, you know, and bring it back home. And, and then you can also buy, like, special containers of it. And, and I bought a few special containers and when I got to customs, they confiscated them all. And then I got home, and I unpacked my bag, and I saw they missed one. So I have, like, one little one, you know. I think it's got a few drops of water in it. But um, anyway, so you've got the well water, and then they channeled the water into a mikvah also. So there's, like, a very modern, beautiful mikvah. And here's the twist. The water is heart attack cold. <laughs> it is, like... Crazy cold, crazy cold. And so there was like a whole group of us, and it's sort of like, okay, you know, it's like, uh, you got to really like work up your, your, your courage to go into this thing. And I learned from Reb Shlomo that, um, that, that the, the, the minig, the custom of the Baal Shem Tov was to immerse seven times, okay. right? So I, you know, that's, that's my thing, you know, seven times. And there were guys who were going in, they, it's like it was like once and they were out, you know, that's all they could bear. And, and I got in there and I was like, the custom of the Baal Shem Tov was seven times. I am at the Baal Shem Tov's mikvah. I am not, not going seven times. And it was like, anyway, I've, I'm living to talk about it. I lived, <laughs> I survived, but it was... It was pretty intense. That was that was intense, but it was great. You know, you feel like brand new afterwards. And uh, anyway, so 
And then Shabbos was just so beautiful. And they, 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 the people who were running it there, Rabbi Gabai is the name of the person who runs it. They've got just modern facilities. By the way, you want to hear something so perfect? Do you know what the name of the hotel there is? The Holiness Hotel. Uh, you can't you can't get better than that, right? And they've got like a they've got like a like a gift shop, and uh, you know where you can buy books and and you can get a cappuccino. By the way, how good was the cappuccino? Fantastic. But you know what was better than the cappuccino? The hot chocolate. <laughs> Unbelievable. And they're selling like little honey cakes, you know. I bought a honey cake and was breaking it off, handing it out to people. It was so nice, you know. And there were about 200 approximately people there. And they were all spending Shabbos there before going to Uman. Everyone there was, was on their way to Uman. Um, just the way the calendar fell out this way, you could, you could spend Shabbos there and then sort of like have two trips. So that, that was... Uh, that was the Baal Shem Tov. I'll tell you one, one last thing. So in the, the base Medrash, we're, we're the, at the end of the cobblestone street, you know, um, you had, uh, we had Friday night davening there, Shabbos davening there, and I, I walked out after the prayers Friday night, and the person who I told you about, the musical Magid who had been playing the guitar, um, as I was walking out of the building, he, he like kind of stopped me and he said, here, I want to show you something. So I said, like, okay, what's this, right? So I walk back in with him, and in the back of the shul, and there's no real signs that tell you about this, right? But if you kind of walk to the end of the, of the base medrash of that building, there's a little room in the back, and it, there's a sign there that says, this is where the Basham's Tov stood. And I stood in that spot, and it was completely overwhelming. It was overwhelming. That was one of the highlights of the entire trip. And I'll just tell you the very first thought that flashed through my mind, um, bless you, when I stood there, was that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses standing in front of the burning bush. You know, that was the first thing that just flashed through my mind. And it just like, anyway, it was very, very emotional. Um, and the Maggid of Mezrich, also that was his spot as well. And um, I should, it would be not right, not to mention that the, that between where the Baal Shem Tov is buried and where the, uh, where the base Medrash, the, where the, the, that shul that I was just talking about, that cobblestone street, in between those two spots is where the Holy Apter Rav, um, the, the, the Ohel Yisrael, who is also one of the greatest Hasidic masters, that's where he lived. And they have his shul there, and they just restored it about 10 years ago. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, and I was able to go in there, and they also had a special room, special spot there where he sat, and they've restored it, and there's like this giant red chair behind a little desk. And it's sort of like, you. I walked into the room, I was all alone, and I was like, I'm not going to sit in the chair. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at the chair. And it's like, mm, no, I don't think so. so um, anyway, uh, I saw on one of the signs it said that the, that the Apterav is, is buried uh, uh, not far from the, the Baal Shem Tov. And I thought to myself, oh, that's, that's interesting. It's probably, I don't know, 
I'm just guessing, mile mile away maybe. And but I don't I don't think I'm going to have a chance to to get to that place, which is too bad. But anyway, um, but I, I, I always loved the Aptarav very very much. And in his day, he was the dean of all the rebbies. And and I'll just tell you one thing about him because I always feel a, a, a great sense of akara satov, a, a great sense of. Um, Gratitude toward the Aptarava. I'll tell you why. Because um, in its day, it, you know, it, the, 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 my, my wife is a descendant of the, of the Kutsk Rebbe. And um, uh, in its day, Kutsk was like a very radical branch of the Hasidic movement. So much so that uh, the, the, there was a, a push among some Hasidim to kick Kutsk out of the Hasidic movement. And um, th- there was a famous wedding in, in Jewish history, uh, which was, I believe it was the granddaughter of the Aptarav. Okay? And, and uh, the reason why this, this was a historic uh, moment in Jewish history is because it was like the, one of the greatest um, congregations of Hasidic masters all came to the Aptarav's simcha. Right, so it was like this amazing, this amazing gathering, amazing gathering, and they actually had a court case there on the fate of the of the Kutsker Hasidus. Like, what's going to be? Are we going to allow them to be within the Hasidic Brotherhood or not? And the Kutsker Rebbe heard that this trial was going to take place, and you know. So, in character, the Kutzker Rebbe was like, I'm not going to that. It's like, you know, there wasn't a, a question in his mind, you know, whether what he was doing was emis, literally emis, you know. He didn't need to go to that. But, but the, 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 the one who was sent to defend Kutzk Hasidus was the Chedush Rim, right? The first Ger Rebbe, the, the, the founder of the whole branch of Ger Hasidus. And um, and the Aptarav heard the arguments, and the Aptarav said, "No, Kutsk is good." So for that reason, I always feel a very special attachment to him. Anyway, I doubt in that I should be able to read to learn his 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 sefer. Uh, it's called Ohel Yisrael. And anyway, before I left, I went to the Baal Shem Tov's, you know, inside the old hell where the Baal Shem Tov is, is buried. And I was sitting down, and, um, and I look, because and, there are a couple of uh, maybe three other people buried there. And I'm sitting down at one of the, the, the sort of like the benches there, the stone benches. And, you know, there are piles of Sefer Tehillim Psalms and different prayer books around. And I notice there's this one red book in front of me and I look at it closely, and it's the Ohel Yisrael. I thought, well, that's, that's the Sefer, isn't that? That's amazing. And so I open it up, and I, I tried to, my best to, 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 to learn it, the Sefer. I thought, wow, that's amazing. And then someone told me, you know, the Aptarav is buried right next to the Baal Shem Tov. So when they said, when I read that sign, it said he's buried near the Baal Shem Tov. They meant inches near the Baal Shem Tov, not like... Not like in the same greater neighborhood, you know? 
So I was actually sitting in front of the kever of the of the Avtarav and was able to learn his his sefer there. So that that was very special too. Now I'll tell you if um, if if the whole Balsham Tov experience was just just tranquility itself. Uman was the opposite. <laughs> Uman was this, just this, it's weird, because I think this is the name of a, like a rock band, but the, these are the words that I would actually use to describe it. It was a quiet riot, right? Wasn't that a rock band? Quiet riot. That's actually a great name. But why would a hard rock name call, call, band call themselves Quiet Riot? Okay, for another time. <laughs> Although, anyway, so it, 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 it was, it was like it just a spiritual riot, but, very, but quiet, because everyone, tens of thousands of people, all getting along completely harmoniously with each other. And um, just like seas of strimals, you know, and and payas and long white uh, becca shears, like those are the long, uh, you know, silk uh, robes, and um, it was just, it was just really something. And there's one main street called Pushkina, which is about um, maybe four city blocks long, and it's lined on either side with stands. So they're selling everything from holy books to pizza to falafel to, to you know, Judaica to just all sorts of things. Toys, you know, to bring back home. Like, er, just everything. And, uh, and then if you follow Pushkina all the way down and around, you see a, a lake and that's where they make Tashlich. And when I went to Tashlich, that was really an amazing experience because just at least 10,000 people by a lake. Right? You can't even believe it. And then there's a building maybe six stories high overlooking it that has rows of balconies on the outside and everyone is crammed on the balconies for all six stories, looking over and watching this site. So if you're on the ground, you see seas of people, and it looks like they're lining up vertically, defying gravity along the side of the building. If you can understand, they're standing on the balcony, but it's sort of like this seamless transition of people from below all the way rising on top of each other. It was just amazing. Um, yeah, so, so, Uman was like, I was able to attend a, a bunch of shirim there, the, the, uh, I heard some classes that were great, the davening was super special, um, you, you walk down the street on, on, you walk down the street on, uh, and Rosh Hashanah, and, and at every street corner down Pushkina, you have minyanim, people who are davening, groups of people, just separate, separate services that are davening outside in clusters. And then 
in one of the sort of like corners, there was a man blowing the chauffeur, and he was just standing in front of a card table, and someone was sort of like turning the pages which blast he should do, and he really was like, just he had such a look of like composure and holy serenity, and his eyes were closed, and he'd blow a chauffeur blast, and then he'd sort of like kind of collect his thoughts again. I'm sure he was thinking of divine names for each blast, and then he'd blow another chauffeur blast, and he was at that spot for hours. You know? just And you'd walk around, and you'd just hear chauffeur blowing here, and chauffeur blowing there, and chauffeur blowing there. And, and you know, the the end of the, the, the davening service where it says, you know, this should be a good year with everything. And everyone says, amen. And, you know, there's like a series of about five blessings where they're like about five amens at the end. And that's the climax of the whole thing. And, you know, as you'd walk around, you'd hear all the amens going from there and all the amens going from there and all the amens going from there. It was just, it was just unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I mean, so many highlights. So many highlights. And I'll tell you just one, one, one little thing, which was the strangest thing at all, of all, maybe. Maybe the strangest thing, that, or, or maybe the surprising, most surprising thing of all, because this was, again, my first time there. And you definitely see how when you go, that you go, okay, I'm going every year. And by the way, I would recommend that every single person goes at least once in their life. Everyone should make it a a point to go once in their life. Um, It's really, Rosh Hashanah is really for men. Um, I did see some women there, but they have trips during the year, which are also for women. And I'm sure they have co-ed trips, but they have some special trips that are only for women. And by the way, there's one going on in November. Rabbi Shlomo Katz is leading a trip there, and they're going to go to some of the other Holy Rebbe's grave sites. And definitely, you know, just Google that online, and you can find the, the, the information for that. And I'm sure that would be a very, very special trip. And with Shlomo leading it, you know it's going to be the highest. Um, but, but let me just get back to the, the point I wanted to make, which is the strangest thing or the most surprising thing which was to be in that environment wasn't strange at all. And it wasn't surprising at all. It felt like an advanced state of normal. (laughs) And um, I don't know if it's because I've been hanging around the, you know, the Reb Shlomo Chevra for all these years or being in the Happy Minion all these years or if it was a deeper, more intuitive soul thing, which I, I suspect it was, that it just felt like, yeah, this is right. This, this is actually right. And, um, and what I mean by that, just on a deeper level, what I'm trying to tell you, is that when the Gula Shlema comes, when the redemption comes, it's not going to be something that's going to be superimposed on our present reality. It's going to be a blossoming of what's already here. It's already here. It's already here, but it hasn't reached its its fullness yet. It hasn't reached its fullness. 
But it's on its way. It's growing every year. It, it's growing every year. And, um, and if you immerse yourself in that environment, you, you really get a sense, like you, it's a, it's a, it, you'll, you'll, you'll go into an expansive state where you understand the possibilities that, that exist for the world, for the Jewish people, for yourself, and, and, and everything like this. Um, I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to do something a little bit different right now. I'm going to end this talk right now. Because that's, that's kind of just an overview of my trip. There's a lot that I really want to say about Yom Kippur also, but I kind of don't want to bury it within this talk. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to send out a separate talk, and we'll have two talks this week, okay? So that's, I know people were curious to hear about the trip. That's my little short rundown of the trip. There were more stories, but that's, that'll do for now. Wishing you just a Gemar Chasimatova, just the best, best thing for, for all of us. Let's all pray for each other. And, uh, and it should be the best, best year.